exciting. Our very first podcast, Karen. I'm deeply excited, Elle. Un- unleashed, unchained and unapologetic. Exactly. What a title. So maybe we should just start really by talking about, um, you know, what it's all about, how we've come to this point and why we felt it was important to bring this podcast to lots of people around the world. Absolutely. Well, let's just start with who it's for. Um, This podcast is for leaders, but it's really for anybody who wants to start turning things around in the workplace. So it's very specifically aimed at the working population of the world. Mm. And I think our catch cry is pretty much around, you know, it's time to stop playing the game as it has been, which isn't working for lots of people, and to start writing the rules um, in a way that works for each individual, but also collectively for for everybody. Um, Because we're stuck with some old rules in the workplaces that just aren't working. And what are you seeing? I mean, obviously, Karen, you're an executive coach for um, many leaders. But what are you seeing? What 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 sense are you getting around the marketplace at the moment? We're definitely in a time of change. I mean, we've had a lot of uh, movements. You know, there's been Me Too. There's been a lot more noise going on in the marketplace about equality and about fairness and about equal pay and all of those things that I think many people would agree is fair. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet we're still stuck with a system that for many people doesn't work. But more importantly, it's not just for the people who are vocal What I see is um, an increasing number of um, leaders, people in their 40s and 50s who've been on the hamster wheel Mm. for a good, you know, 20, 30 years and are really starting to ask themselves a fundamental question, is this all there is? They're looking for more in the workplace. They're looking for a job that they can enjoy that balances with the rest of their lives. And again, there's a a lot in the media about all of this and a lot of chatter, Mm. but what I'm not seeing are some very coherent steps being taken to change it. And I think the problem is that many people are hoping that the system is going to change. And we've been, you know, chaining ourselves to railings since the the early part of the last century. And progress um, has been really slow. And the reason I believe is that everybody's looking around waiting for somebody else to do something. And every so often we'll get a voice that stands out or someone that stands up and says enough. Um, And that person will get some momentum for a while. But we're not seeing movement And so this podcast is really designed to invite anybody that listens to it to start to take action on their own behalf and to work in ways that gets alignment in the workplace with people that they may not agree with so that we actually start to get some real changes happening. And that's really important. I know I know myself in in my career today, you know, you're never going to agree with everyone. We're all human. We're all human. We all have difference of opinions for the right reasons. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's not about you don't agree with me, therefore conflict arises. It's about, listen, this is our aligned common goal. This is what we're all aiming for the same thing. We don't have to be in agreement, but we must be aligned for the right reasons. Mm. And I think that's really much easier to come to come to that place than people think it is. Yeah, I think with the right tools. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people slave away trying to get other people to agree with them. And there's a lot of convincing that goes on. Justification. Enormous amount of frustration when people don't agree with somebody else's point of view. But I really like the words in service of, you know, why are we doing anything? Why do we go to the office? Most people go to earn a salary to support their families, their lifestyle. Um, Many go to the office because they want to make a difference in some way. Um, But in the end, neither of those things are possible if people aren't finding ways to work together. And let's be honest, you know, we're in the workplace. 
eight hours of the day, we're in the workplace minimum. with our colleagues. Yes, minimum. <laughs> <laughs> Silly me. Uh, we're in the workplace with our colleagues longer than we are with our significant others or family. Yeah. Kids, pa partners, husbands, you know, girlfriends, whatever. And I just think it's so crucial. It's such an important part of life. And tell me, when you have worked with incredible leaders around the world, the outcomes of this not taking place, what are you seeing? Well, I mean, the most obvious one, and again, there's a lot of noise about this, is just poor mental health. Um, in the last few years, obviously, we've had COVID, and we could talk about that endlessly. But what I've seen an increase in is literal breakdowns. I've had people coming to work with me whose opening sentences are, I'm lost, I'm broken, they're on um, health leave from work. And I want to be very clear these are people who have had stellar careers. Mm. They've been to the best business schools. Some of them have been in, you know, the most extraordinary blue chips, um, C-level positions, the works. This is not the provenance of, you know, people who are, you know, working their way up. It's sometimes the people who've actually got theoretically to the peak point in their career. And it's just not worked for them. Um, and often, you know, it's just fundamentally that their lives are horribly out of balance that work has started to eclipse a lot of other things and the stress that goes with it has started to ruin the rest of their lives. So again, I'm seeing real difficulties still, and this is unacceptable in the 2020s, um, women who just are trying to juggle families and a career because they've been told that they can have it all. Um, and you can have it all, but maybe not all at the same time. And maybe having it all at the same time isn't that healthy. Mm. Maybe it isn't really what we're wired for. And if we do want it all at the same time, we definitely need better support to get it. And then we've got fathers equally well, mm. don't see enough of their kids, want to be able to do more with their children. But both parents or one parent, you get home at the end of the day and your family is exposed to the dregs of what's left after you've got through the workplace day. And even if you are loving your job, you still may be working huge hours. There's just not a balance of what life's really about. And I think if COVID's taught us anything, it's I'm seeing a lot of people starting to say, no, yeah, I don't want to work the way I've always worked. And then you've got an equal number of people who are going back to exactly the way they used to work. And that split in the workforce is, is problematic. It's just another division that we have to cope with. Yeah. And I think... Um you know, we talk about um, women in the workplace, obviously. Mm. Um, I'm a great, I'm really for men and women working oh, together. Absolutely. Not women. You know, I, I honestly believe the power and the magic happens when the differences of each come together mm -hmm. and solve um, most powerfully working shoulder to shoulder. And the thing that, um, that I want to bring up at this point is the stresses that men have oh, yeah. in the work environment because absolutely. where we face them, of course we do. But then on the on the other side, men have a huge amount of stresses in very different ways. Well, and some of the same ways. I mean, the truth is that stress is stress is stress. Whether you're male or female, the hormones are the same. Um, the pressures that society places on people can be different. But the response to stress is really, really similar. It's just that men... Um, are often not brought up to talk about this in the same way that I think women are. Yeah, You know, um, there is a difference in the way uh, we're wired. And I mean, let's, let's talk about that stress, Karen, because mm. 
how does that play out? So, oh. you know, how do you see it playing out? Because I think sometimes people aren't even aware that they are stressed because yep. they've always been that way for so long and they've been yep. on this hamster wheel. So how does that play out in the workplace? Well, for me, it's a very simple thing. I mean, you know, we've gone from being people who run around catching our food and uh, living in you know Serengeti conditions where the threats are we're going to starve to death or we're going to be killed by something, maybe other people. Um, now we've taken our bodies into the workplace and the workplace has become the new battleground. So, you know, the stress at work is about conflict. It's about the conflict of can I get my job done? Am I good enough? Am I going to get a promotion? Will I get acknowledged? Um, how do I compare with everybody around me? You know, am I going to be able to support my family? Is my job safe? These are all threats to our survival effectively because our job equals our ability to pay the bills, you know, raise our kids, do all of the things that human beings do. So the office is now effectively the Serengeti and we take the same stresses to it. And for men, you know, we do have the same kind of, I guess, battle. You know, when I look at the difference between the way men and women work, and this is a generalisation, so I'd like to call it out for that straight away. Mm. You know, men are brought up to compete with each other. You know, you can see it in the playground when two kids are sitting together talking about, you know, who's taller or who can kick the ball further. You know, girls will sit to talk about what's similar. You know, am I wearing the same dress? You know, is my hair the same colour? You know, what do I have in common? And the boys will be competing with each other. And that goes into the office in the same way. I mean, this all starts in childhood and keeps going. So for men, I think that, you know, the office, the workforce is often a competitive place. It's about performance. It's about success. It's about their sense of self being measured in terms of those successes. And that has created the environment that then everybody works in. And I don't think it's comfortable for anybody, no. men included. Um, but I also do believe that it's much, much harder for men to call some of these things out and say, I'm having a rubbish time. You know, I've worked with a huge number of men in Silicon Valley last year. Um, from some of the biggest companies like Apple and Google. And what was absolutely clear to me was that they were going through exactly the same traumas mm. that women were going through in terms of identity, purpose, you know, where is it all going? Um, but it took a little time for them to be able to say, I'm actually pretty stressed out and in some case pretty scared. You know, men don't cry in sessions as often as women do but I had men in tears who just had nowhere else to turn to just say, you know, what do I do? And again, I'm not talking about people who were struggling in their careers. I'm talking about incredibly successful people at the end of their rope. And if that's happening, then there's, there's something wrong. There's something badly wrong. So when we talk about what to do about it, you know, it's a million dollar question. I still believe that Many people in career paths, on career ladders, are waiting for the system to make changes. DEI is about waiting for the system or making the system change. You know, feminism, all that stuff was about making the system change. I don't come at it like that. I just don't believe that systems change quickly. And I think anybody who's done transformations or change programs will agree. They're really hard to pull off. So what does change stuff and why are we here? I mean, the main reason we're here is our belief is it starts with each individual Absolutely. taking human steps and changing things in their own environment. And the more people that are doing that, the easier the environments get. Um, 
so yeah I, th I think for me if you want to change a system you have to start with the individuals in it and collectively we're all responsible for that <laughs> so why wouldn't you want to do it we're not brought up to we're not brought up to, you know, when we're kids, we're, we're told you can and can't do X, Y and Z. There are lots of rules that you have to follow. We're conditioned not to challenge the status quo. And so we grow into adults who find challenging the status quo mildly uncomfortable. So we tend not to do it. And so really bad patterns can form and nobody is prepared to call them out. Do you, and, think, do you think there's a lack of... Um know it there's a lack of literally knowing what to do i think i think there's i think there's a lack of awareness that people have choice i think that as adults we we forget that we can actually say no you know what i see a lot in clients is how do i say yes to everything you know women classic example I've been there. how do i say yes to raising my kids having my career how do i keep my boss happy how do i make sure i progress there's a lot of yes required for mm -hmm. that and actually, there's very little no. So I see a lot of very floppy boundaries around people, you know, overextending themselves rather than looking after themselves and saying, there's a balance here that I need to preserve for, for my own mental health, says that. And I think, yeah, many workplaces have a culture where people don't feel at choice. So it has to start with the individual examining the choices they're making, either deliberately or more often, just implicitly, they're just going along, making choices by allowing stuff to happen. And that's not necessary. And, and that's really, I think, why we're here. Yeah. And I think we've talked about the outcome and the impact that it has on individuals and people in the mm. workplace. But let's think about it from a business perspective. Oh, yeah. What is the outcome and the impact and to the bottom line, let's say, on businesses when this happens? Well, again, you know, we can go back to the media and all this stuff about war on talent and, mm. well, sorry, war for talent as opposed <laughs> to war on talent. A friend of mine calls it that. Um, you know, competition to find really good people. I think the truth is that when organisations don't pay attention to this stuff, they do lose their best people because their best people always have options. Um, and the people that are left behind are miserable. And by the way, if anybody in the organisation is collectively miserable, the leadership's going to be miserable too. So when people feel miserable, stressed, they simply don't perform at their best and you can join the dots. If people aren't performing at their best, the organisation isn't going to deliver all that it can because in the end, businesses are just a group of people trying to get something done. So ultimately, that is a huge cost yep. to businesses and to people mm -hmm. by not being aware of this yeah. and leveraging the tools and, and, and things that are available to enable to turn that around. Yeah. But I, I do think it all starts with the beliefs that we have. Mm. I mean, most people go into the workplace believing that they're in a hierarchy, that they don't have choice, that they've got to keep the boss happy, that they need to do the right things, whatever that means, to progress up the ladder. And I think that that is a belief system that engenders people not saying no not questioning or if they question doing it kind of apologetically or or second guessing themselves or feeling like they're out on a limb and one of the things that I think it's important to start with is to really examine what your beliefs are like what is real here is it true what you believe about your business so how do how 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 for everybody listening how do we actually go about starting that process because you know to actually think about what your beliefs are if you just ask that question it's actually quite hard to answer. So how would you, um, how would you 
you know, what would you say to those people in order to start looking into their beliefs? What's the best way to go about that? Well, I always like to start with a very simple example mm. of a belief system and a little framework that I use called belief action results. So belief action result basically is what it says on the tin. Um, but let me give you an example of how to use it. So many people who go to school, and I remember this from my own school days, believe that they're not very good at maths. It's one of the things you can hear kids saying all the time, oh, I'm not, no good at maths. Um, why? I do not know because maths is an infinitely learnable subject. I believe that it's a hard <laughs> subject to teach, but, you know, I'm no good at maths. What happens if you believe you're no good at maths as a child? Well, you, you, you first of all, hate maths lessons. Mm. You probably, you know, don't listen or give up in maths lessons and listening. You just get through the 45 minutes, whatever it is nowadays, of maths. Then you go out, you get your homework, you look at it, you've got no idea how to do it. Um, you might ask somebody, you might not, but probably that person's not going to explain it. And you're not going to push them necessarily to find out how to do something. You're just going to scribble away and hope for the best. You probably won't get good um, results in your homework as a result of that. When I'm a perfect example of this, by the yeah. way, Karen, because I failed maths three times. Stella, well done. I had um, a teacher who I couldn't stand. She was very aggressive. Um, you know, if you as much as got anything wrong, I would be shouted at. Ooh. Now, coming from uh, a family where my father's a professor of mecha mechanical engineering, amazing at maths. No daughter of his was going to get through school without passing maths. So I actually did have a private tutor at one point and did pass it in the end. But I've always had a problem with maths. Now, as a senior marketing leader, obviously budgeting, for example... I have to do budgeting all the time. I'm basically doing maths and I'm pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. So um, so it's maths by another name. Exactly. So your belief is I can't do maths in the classroom. I can't do school maths. That's right. right? Which is basically simple maths. So that belief means that you struggled with maths at school. Probably when you went to test, you didn't get great grades. And so it reinforced the belief that you were no good at it. If we flip the equation yeah. and let's assume we've got a child who's, you know, doesn't think about things quite the same way. And they may find maths a little bit difficult, but their mindset says, right, I can be good at maths. There's some stuff I need to do. I'm determined to be good at maths one way or another. You see children like this once in a while. Um, so what do they do? They would ask lots of questions. When the teacher says something and they don't understand it, it's their hand that shoots up and says, but miss, I don't understand. Now, in your case, that would probably end up with a lot of shouting. Mm. But in an ideal situation, the teacher would attempt to explain. Um, if the teacher fails to explain, they might ask their friends. If they can't do that, they might go into YouTube or online, because let's be honest, that exists now and it's fantastic, and get the answers to their questions so they can actually understand. Once they start to understand, then they can do their homework. They know how to revise for tests. They go into those things and they start to get better marks. And that reinforces the belief they can be good at maths. So why are we talking about beliefs? Because if you believe that your workplace offers you no options for progression or that the people you work with are too difficult to work with, you're going to behave as if it's true. If you behave as if it's true, then the chances are the people around you are going to read that and they're going to reinforce your belief that it's true. So, for example, if I think my boss is a bit of a dickhead, sorry about the language, then I'm going to behave as if he's a dickhead and he's going to feel uncomfortable around me and he's going to behave strangely and I'm going to label that as him being a dickhead. So you get into this Energy. cycle of, you know, people mirroring or you thinking that you see them mirroring what you believe. 
how do you change it? You start to ask questions. And the question is, is this belief a feeling I have or is it a fact that I can provide data around? So, for example, if I think my boss is a dickhead, what's the evidence for that? Okay, well, maybe he makes inappropriate comments. Okay, well, I have a choice there. I can say to him, you need to stop making inappropriate comments, make me very uncomfortable. Okay, and if he continues to do it, tick, he's a dickhead. But if he goes, oh, my God, I didn't realise, then that completely explodes my belief that he's a dickhead. And I actually think, well, actually, he's a really good guy. Listen to me. So what's the trick here with your beliefs? to realise you've got a choice about what you believe. And when you're not sure whether it's true or not, to ask the question, is it a fact that I've got evidence for or is it a feeling based on my biases and prejudices and preconceptions? Really fascinating. And I think, you know, it just goes back to it really does start with you, doesn't it? It's, it's, That's the point. It's understanding you, it's having awareness around where these things come from and then taking action Mm -hmm. in order to move it forward and I think um you know what I would say what we would say to listeners today is what one thing are you going to do today as a result of what you've heard to make a change Mm -hmm. what how are you going to act to take that forward yeah I'd build on that and say what belief do you have Mm. about something in your workplace is causing you problems yeah you know do you think somebody's getting in your way are you believing that the organization's about to make everybody redundant. Now, what beliefs do you have? Do you feel that you have to make, say yes to your boss all the time? What one belief do you have that's actually uncomfortable for you to have? And then go and find out whether it's accurate or not. Brilliant. Just a very simple Q&A for oneself. Well, that's the end of our first podcast. Yes, it is. That's been fun. Thank you so much, Karen, for your amazing advice as Thank always. Thank you, if you enjoy this podcast, please click on the bell and subscribe yes. and follow. And we look forward to sharing our next one soon. Yep. Thank you so much. And thank you, Elle. You're welcome. Okay. <laughs>